Man, those testimonies are powerful, amen? I got so much love for Jensen. Uh, many of you probably don't recognize Jensen. That's because Jensen actually attends the Hillside campus normally. And Jensen is a student leader in our campus ministry, Emmaus. And so uh, even when he was up here sharing, I could tell he seemed a little nervous. But that's because he doesn't know any of you. <laughs> so for him to share his testimony, to, um, but he shared his testimony of what God's done in his life in Bangladesh, I remember, to about three, 400 children. Um, and we saw most of those kids pray the sinner's prayer and uh, come in, and come into the kingdom. It was really powerful. Um, man, yeah, I'm so blessed. Even Candace was sharing, even as Candace was sharing her testimony about Cambodia, I was like, that sounds like Bangladesh. That sounded like what we were seeing because even we did some door-to-door evangelism and, and a lot of our team members were like, we feel like Jesus. And I was like, okay, that's a little much, you know, what do you mean you feel like Jesus? But they were going from house to house and people were like, they would pray for someone in this house and they'd get healed or they would accept Christ. And then everyone in that family would leave and follow them to the next house. And then when they're praying for, and so you got people praying, like they're praying for the people. And then you've got the other people standing and watching, you know, like, yeah, 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 that's good. We got healed. You get healed, you know? And so even with the interruptions, I realized that, um, you know, there were many times where Jesus was interrupted in his ministry. Actually, that was something we were praying for. Um, as I think about it right now, I remember praying specifically, Lord, give us some divine interruptions. I don't know what I'm praying for right now, but give it to us, you know. And then he did. And so it was really amazing. We saw in Bangladesh, uh, we just want to thank everyone for praying. Uh, thank you for covering us in prayer. Thank you for covering as well as the Philippines team. They saw amazing signs and wonders. A lot of God's power released and the Cambodia team. Thank you for praying and covering us. Uh, we really felt your prayers. I want to tell you, we definitely felt your prayers in Bangladesh, okay? Um, especially during the times where there were protests and different crazy things that were going on. Uh, God was really protecting our team. And that was all because of your intercession and prayers. And so we want to say thank you for that. Uh, we saw about 750 decisions for Christ in Bangladesh. And each one is important. We marvel at the large number, but if you can think about the impact of your salvation, then it's, it's amazing. The Bible says that angels rejoice over one, and so it's pretty awesome. I know in, in Cambodia, the numbers that they saw, each one, so amazing. Man, God is good, amen? Yo, let's give God a round of applause. Come on. I want everyone to open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to continue as we have been uh, going through this book. And so we're going to jump back into our series. The last time I preached, I preached uh, a month ago. And I talked about these different things in our lives that can keep us from living the kind of life that God is calling us to live. And today we're going to jump back into this series that we're doing as we're going through this book verse by verse, as we're going through chapter by chapter. And the reason we're doing this is because all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-inspired. And therefore, there's not an area of Scripture that we can be like, oh, that doesn't really apply. All of it applies. All of it is useful. All of it is necessary for us. Um, so, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
I wanted to, to preface this before we get into it, though, is that each time we go through this book, I believe God speaks directly to the kind of life that he wants us to live. In Bangladesh, something that God spoke to me so clearly, and I believe it has meaning for us in this year of inspiration, is that we are God's method. When we were, what does that mean? We are God's method. In this year of inspiration, so many of us are praying for God, give me a supernatural download. Inspire me, God. Give me a fresh idea. But what, something that God showed me in, in Bangladesh, can you please bring that down? Thank you. Uh, everyone's like reading the scripture and I'm like, what's going on? Uh, something that God showed me in Bangladesh was that we are his methods. When we went to Bangladesh, we were there and we realized that we were being his children, being his people. We were the provision for the nation of Bangladesh. It wasn't it wasn't a new teaching. It wasn't something that we would bring. It wasn't money. It wasn't any of that. When we went to Bangladesh, we were his provision. It was crazy. We went there and we our team was crazy. Our team was marked with joy. Now, I want to tell you, our Bangladesh team had to be, in my opinion, one of the most random assortments of individuals ever. <laughs> like when we met together, our first team meeting, I didn't say this out loud, but I was thinking, how's this going to work? Like, every these people are crazy. This is, uh, you know, and I'm sure they were looking at me thinking the same thing. Eh, Pastor Marcus, he's scary, <laughs> you know. And I'm looking at our team and I'm like, how is this going to work? How are we going to interact? I don't even know her name. Like, you know, and I, I, she attended another campus, so I never interacted. I hear people like, what? But then as we met together and as we broke bread together, the joy that we had on our team was ridiculous. Like we would meet and we would laugh. We would laugh at one another. We'd laugh with one another. We would laugh at other things like and we. It was the first trip I've ever been on where there were zero interpersonal conflicts. And now, I know, right? Like, for those who have been on missions, you're like, oh, my gosh, that is the Lord, you know? Because I've been on so many trips in the past where there's, there's so much tension, you know? Like, anytime you're dealing with people, even in the church, you know? You're dealing with someone or you talk to someone and they're different from you or they have a different background. And the first thing that happens is we begin to build up walls or we begin to get up our shield and our weapons. You know, we get up our weapons of warfare towards one another, you know. And but we went on this trip and it seemed to be the most random assortment of people. But we had so much fun and we had so much life and we loved one another deeply. And I was confused. I was like, how is this working? Like, what's going on? But we realized God was blessing us with joy. And so we were like, okay, awesome. Even when we were praying and we were prophesying, we were like, I feel like God's marked us with joy. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Don't know what that means. But then we get to Bangladesh and we're, we're ministering and we're spending time with the pastors. And even then, it didn't make sense to me. Like, we were still having a, a great time. Like, we were laughing there's some hilarious stories from that trip I cannot share right now. Um, but if you ask any of the team members, they'd love to share. Even the woman interrupting the service, it was both scary and hilarious. Because we were like, what's going on? And she just kept asking questions. Like, I was like, you're, you're in a service. I'm preaching right now. What's going on? But we saw so many cool things take place. And it still didn't make sense. Why? Why are we a team marked with joy? What does this mean? What does this have to do with anything? And then the last day, 
for the last two days, we ministered to the local pastors in Bangladesh. And we got a chance to pray for them. And in Bangladesh, we're praying for people, and we can't tell anything on the outside. Like, they're just receiving prayer. I think one guy was crying, so we were like, yeah, yeah, God's touching him. But everyone else, we're not sure, because they were just like, thank you, you know? And it was like, you know, and then we, I got a prophetic word for them from, from the book of Joshua. It's just, I feel like the Lord's telling you, pastors, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. God is with you. And, and then they received it and, you know, no outward signs. There's a thank you. And then they just left. I was like, no smiles, nothing, you know. And then the last day we spent time with our pastor, Pastor Ishan. And, they, and previous teams that had went to Bangladesh before us, they told us that Pastor Ishan, this native pastor, was like the most choleric, most goal-oriented individual of all time. And he really was. Like, he never said, please. He was just like, team, come. Like, Go now. I said, okay. Sleep now. <laughs> you know, it was just very, like, on it, right? And even when we'd spend time with him, like, we would pray for the sick. And, and we'd pray for someone. And we'd want to check. Like, we're like, okay, check. You know, this was what I'm used to doing when I'm preaching. At leading people and checking where God's healed them. All right, everyone, right now I want you to check. And then Pastor Ishan goes, okay, they're better. Next person, go. I'm like, what, what, what's going on? Okay, everyone's fine. Let's leave. You know, we didn't, we didn't check. Like, you know, he was so like, and it seemed like nothing could phase this guy. But then the last day we get, we get brunch with him and his wife. And we're spending time with them and we're eating food with them and having a great time. And then he begins to share. And he begins to share about his ministry, and he's like all happy, and he's talking about what God's doing in Bangladesh, how blessed he was by us coming. And then he starts talking about his needs. And then as he starts to talk about his needs, all of a sudden this man is so strong, so choleric, he starts breaking down. He starts crying. And I'll be honest, I didn't know what to do. You ever been around someone when they cry unexpectedly and you don't know what to do? Like, I was just standing there. I was frozen. I was like. You know, and he's crying. He's breaking down. I mean, I remember in the past, a friend of mine, they broke down crying. I didn't know what to do. So I went and got them a glass of water. Because, like, in my mind, I was like, oh, they're crying a lot. They must be dehydrated. Like, you know, like, I don't know what to do. And, uh, and so I was frozen. I was like, you know, I, yeah. And we're, but everyone's kind of being touched in that moment because he's sharing about this discouragement that he goes through because he's a pastor in a land, a Christian pastor in a land that is predominantly Muslim, 98%, you know, 98% of those people have never heard the gospel before. And God has set him apart and chose him to preach the gospel. You imagine the kind of discouragement you may go through, the kind of rejection, the kind of persecution he's endured, right? Really tough. And as he's sharing and breaking down and I'm frozen, God speaks to me. And he says, Marcus, this is why you came. Marcus, this is why your team was marked with joy. Your team was marked with joy because I sent you to be the method. I sent you to be the provision to him. You just being there and being who you are called to be is bringing joy and encouragement into his life. You know, so many times we think that God wants to bring a method. We pray and we ask God for methods. God, give me a new method. Give me a fresh idea. Inspire me. But God doesn't do methods. He does men. 
E.M. Bounds said it like this. He says, while men look for better methods, God looks for better men. You know, when Jesus wanted to redeem, when what God was wanting to redeem the earth from sin, he did not send a method. He sent his son. He sent a person, right? When, when God wanted to bring the Israelites out of bondage, out of captivity, he did not send them a top 10 steps to get out of, out of bondage, did he? You know, check it out, Israelites. You are in bondage in Egypt. You are slaves. So here is a top 10 manual to get free. What did he do? He sent them Moses, right? He didn't, whenever God wants to bring deliverance, whenever God wants to bring healing, whenever God wants to bring change anywhere in our lives, actually God doesn't seek to bring methods. He seeks to bring men. That means that in your family, the the change that God's wanting to bring doesn't come from you praying for a new idea or a fresh method. It comes from you. You're the method. Transformation in Itaewon doesn't come from a new method. It comes from new men and women, brothers and sisters. When God transforms us, other places get transformed. When God transforms us, other people get transformed. Amen? Why am I talking about this? Because in Corinth, we talked about Corinth a couple weeks ago, how Corinth was a place that was just disgusting. Like the kind of things that were going on in Corinth where they would worship the Greek goddess Aphrodite or the Roman goddess Venus by having sex with temple prostitutes in the city square. They would argue and fight and bicker in the city square. All of this was open for so many people to see. All these things happen. But God did not change Corinth by saying, I'm going to send a new method. He said, I'm going to send the Apostle Paul. I'm going to send the Apostle Paul and I'm going to transform people. And then once I transform people in that city, then that's going to transform the city. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this just to preface in the beginning of this message that the decisions you make, the choices you make and the way that you live has profound impact. When you understand that you are the method of transformation. When you understand that you are God's key. You hear what I'm saying? Tell your neighbor right now. Tell him you're the key. Tell him you're the method. Tell it like tell him like you mean it. <laughs> you know, every other religion. This is something I noticed in in uh, Bangladesh as we ministered to Hindus and Muslims. Every other religion is about about getting a better method. Only Christianity is about is about getting a perfect method. You know, Muhammad, he got his perfect method from an angel that sat on his chest and told him, write, write, write until he was scared to death. And then he started writing, apparently. No, that's really what happened. It's kind of crazy. That's what they attest to happening. Every other religion is about getting a perfect method, but only Christianity is about encountering a perfect person. Only about encountering a perfect person and being transformed by that person to then go out and transform others. Why am I talking about this? It's because God cares about you. You specifically. Christianity is not about you living this particular life and following these particular steps. No, God cares about you. 
your body, your mind, your soul, your emotions, your will. He cares about your spirit. He cares about you holistically because you're the method. Because your family doesn't change unless you change. Your workplace doesn't change unless you change. The people that you're praying for and hoping change, they don't change unless you change. Because you're God's method. And I'm only preaching this because God confronted me with it. Say, Marcus, unless you change. (laughs) Apparently, I cry every service. And that's because I cry a lot. I ain't scared. So what? It's okay for a man to cry. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Say what? Today, I want to talk to you specifically about your body. I want to talk to you about your body, and I want to talk to you about a specific aspect about your body. Um, In the interaction and, and just in living that you and I, we encounter every single day something that we do every day, I want to talk to you about food, eating food. If you are not eating food right now, I'm sorry. If you're fasting, that's what I meant. None of you are eating food right now because we don't allow food in this sanctuary. I want to talk to you about food. I love food. Who loves food? You know what I'm saying? I love me some food. I think food is a gift from God. It, 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 amen. Amen to that. Everyone woke up when I said food. I think food is a gift from God. I think, you know, he gave it to us and it blesses me. You know, in Bangladesh, after we went through immigration, we were going and we were about to go and board our, our trip. And I was talking to one of the sisters and somehow we got on the topic of food. Like I just asked her, like, what kind of food do you eat growing up? Like what? And, you know, she's telling me, she's like, oh, we used to eat like pasta and and sandwiches and steak and chicken and all this different stuff. And I was like, oh, that's great. And she's like, what about you? Right. And there was another sister that was standing there, too, whenever she asked me the question. And as soon as she asked me that question, I could see in my peripheral vision this sister and she was smirking. She was like. (laughs) And I was like, what what does she think I'm about to say? I knew she thought I was going to say fried chicken. (laughs) I knew it. I could tell. I'm just saying, Jasmine, I'm just saying. I could see it in her eyes. Her face said fried chicken. And I, but so I discerned, I discerned in the spirit that that's what she was going to say. And so I was like, seafood. I grew up on seafood and salad. I ate a lot of salad growing up. Yep. I ate pasta, spaghetti, spaghettios. That's what I ate. And the more and more I talked, the, the, she, the sister right here, she started kind of like squirming. She was like, and, and I was like, okay, just go ahead and say it. She's like, what about fried chicken? I was like, that is wrong. It was only 3% of my diet. Okay, maybe more. It's like 15. And... <laughs> And then she was like, what did you guys drink growing up? And I was like, what do you mean? What did I drink? I drank water. You know, like I drank. She's like, well, and then, and then sister, same thing. She's like, I was like, you know, I drink sodas, iced, sweetened iced tea. She's like, you mean sweet tea? 
sweetened iced tea. It's the same thing. And I'm like, yeah, we, we had sodas too. She said, what about orange soda? Listen, I don't know where you've been watching Kenan and Kel, but you need to stop. Just because one guy likes orange soda does not mean all black people like orange soda. Although I do like Fanta sometimes. <laughs> I don't know why I talked about that. Actually, in Bangladesh, the food was amazing. We ate a lot of chicken curry and uh, fried chicken. <laughs> oh, yeah, but food is important to God. And, and God uses food throughout the entire Bible, actually. Food is a common theme throughout the Bible because God knows that food speaks to us. God knows that we live a lot of times in our lives. We actually organize our lives many times around food. God knows that food is a theme or something that he can use to speak to us deeply about him and about how he wants us to order our lives. So I want us to look and we're going to look at first Corinthians. We're going to continue where we're at. We're at chapter 10. And we're going to just go through and we're going to go through verses 14 to, to 17. And then uh, we'll go through the rest of it. Um, a few more chapters after that. Uh, let's read verses 14 to 17. I'll take the first verse. You take the, you know, and we'll just go back and forth. You take I'll take the even you take the odd. Therefore, my beloved flee from idolatry. The cup of blessing that we bless Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Let me pray for us really quickly. Father, I thank you for uh, every person here today. I thank you, God, that today you desire to speak to us deeply. And God, you desire to um, transform us, God, that we would transform others. So, Lord, I pray for your spirit to go out in power as I preach, for every heart to be open, every mind to be open. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just to give you some context, in this passage, Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth, and the specific issue he's dealing with is that they're eating food that has been sacrificed to idols. Well, why does that matter? What, what does that have to do with anything? Well, them eating this food sacrificed to idols was a big deal. Because as they ate this food, what was going on was that they were in these temples as, like I said, they were worshiping this goddess, Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love and fertility. And the way that they would worship was that they would they would make some food and they would put it before this idol and then they would eat the food. It sounds very much like ancestor worship, right? They would pray and then they would eat the food and then they would bring in temple prostitutes. And so by them eating, just simply eating the food, they were actually there for the entire worship session. And this was causing a lot of problems in in the church in Corinth, because as people were partaking of this particular rite or this particular sacrifice or even eating this food, it was opening up the door for younger believers to stumble. And not just for younger believers to stumble, but for other people to begin to justify their sexual immorality. It was actually a huge issue. And so Paul speaks to them, and he's he's already spoken to them earlier in the book, but now he starts to use this aspect of food. He says, I speak to you as sensible people. 
The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. He talks about this cup of blessing, that's the blood of Christ, and he's talking about this bread that is Jesus' body. Now, he's not telling them to be cannibals, okay? A lot of people, even people outside of the church, when they hear about communion and they hear, they see these passages where Jesus talks about drinking his blood and eating his flesh, they're like, you Christians are crazy, you know? What does that even mean? It's a metaphor, you know? And he's speaking to them about, he's referring to communion. He's referring to the act that we believers take part in when we drink wine and consume bread to remember the sacrifice that Jesus has done on the cross. Actually, Jesus is the first person who talks about this whole notion of drinking his blood and eating his flesh. I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6. And I'm just going to read through verses 48 to 56. When you're there, say amen. Amen. You guys are quick. Verses 48 to 56. Jesus refers to this bread and this blood. And he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This, meaning himself, is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on this last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Amen. It's a crazy passage, right? Every time I read it, I'm kind of like, Jesus, what do you mean? But Jesus actually spoke about himself as food, not because he called them to be cannibals and neither Paul, but because there's profound truth about God when we consider what we eat. And I'm going to ask you two questions today. And the first question I want you to write down and ask yourself is, what are you being nourished by? In your life, what are you being nourished by? What's nourishing you? What's sustaining you? I believe God gave us food for a few reasons. And the first reason is sustenance. Everyone say sustenance. Sustenance. It means that it sustains you if you don't know. Food is meant to keep this body running, right? Amen. If you don't eat, you die. If you eat the wrong thing, you die, right? I can't drink motor oil and eat pencils. Like, what the effect of that on my body, I would, I would probably die. You know, like I can't walk around drinking gasoline. I can't eat rocks. Because God's given us food. I know some of you are like thinking of me grabbing up like rocks, like, oh, huh. <laughs> take that thought captive. Like God's given us food to sustain us. You know, food is meant to be our provision that keeps us alive. You know, when you eat food, it nourishes you. It even transforms your literal body, right? 
When Jesus invited us to drink his blood and eat his flesh, he was actually inviting us to experience him as our source of nourishment. What nourishes you? What keeps you alive? I'm talking not just in terms of food, but in terms of the spirit. What do you look to for that, that sense of being alive? Is it money? Is it esteem? Sex? Relationships? Power? You know, so many believers, they come into, they come into church and they say, Jesus, you are my portion. But then from Monday to Saturday, they're eating from another table. Monday to Saturday, they're experiencing and they're going to something else and saying, actually, that's my portion. When you feel weak, when you're feeling dry and you're feeling hungry, where do you run first? Is it to Jesus or is it to something else? Ask yourself. Ask yourself deeply. Where, what really is my sustenance? What is it that I run to? You know... As God, if you're God's method in this year of inspiration, you really have to determine and be intentional about what your nourishment is. Because what you eat, like natural food, what you eat makes you healthy physically. You know, if you eat the right food, I've been watching this documentary from HBO. It's called The Weight of the Nation. And it's about obesity in America. And as I'm watching it, it's like scary. Because what they're saying is that their children... Five, six, seven, eight years old that are already showing signs of heart disease. That kids that are already at a certain age, their livers are already starting to show signs of that when they're in their 30s, when they're in their 20s and 30s, they're going to be on dialysis. That their kidneys and their livers are going to fail. And when they look at the reason why, you know why? Fast food. McDonald's. It's the food that people are continually consuming, right? It's not just exercise. You know, a lot of times when we say, what, you need to live right, you need to lose weight, we all say, you know, okay, I'm going to exercise. You know, I remember, that's something that I'm always like, I'm going to exercise, man, I'm going to exercise. That's my New Year's, New Year's resolution. I'm going to exercise. And then I go to the gym, and I've got zero energy. And I, I get on the treadmill, and I'm on there for like, Three minutes. And I'm like, okay, rest break. And then like the Ajima's right beside me like, what's going on with you, you know? <laughs> and the reason, I can't, the reason I can't run for a long time is because the things that I'm eating is having such a negative impact on my body that I can't run for. And many of you, you have big dreams. You have big dreams from God. You have big things that he's been inspiring you to do in this year of inspiration. But if you don't know what your source of nourishment is, if your source of nourishment is anything other than Jesus, you won't be able to run far. You'll start running and then all of a sudden you'll get tired. And then you'll go back to that, that very thing that you've been looking to. You wonder, why is it that I start things that I can't finish? Why is it that I have these dreams that I start and I still am not able to step into my destiny? Why is that so? It's probably because your nourishment is not Jesus. It's something else. The first is sustenance. The second one, satisfaction. Everyone say satisfaction. satisfaction. Food is meant to satisfy you. You ever had a good steak? Mercados or Copacabana or... Taboma, you know, they, I just go to Brazilian. I just love the Brazil. Bless Brazil. 
Bless Brazil, you know. They are, man, they're anointed for steak. And uh, you have a good steak. I like my, like, medium rare, maybe a little rare. I like it still mooing, you know. It's mmm. Yes. You know. And I don't know, for some of you guys, you're clean eating or you're doing whatever. You like a nice bag of nuts or something. I don't know what you like. You, you, you like a head of lettuce. You just... But you know that sense of satisfaction you get when you eat something really good? You have a good meal and you stop and you're like, mmm, yes. It, it nourishes your soul. Mm. Some people are already there right now. They're thinking about <laughs> dinner right now. God gave us food because he knew that food, when we eat it, it's meant to nourish and satisfy our souls. But ultimately, it points to Jesus, him. When we drink his blood and we eat of his bread, his flesh, what he's really talking about is his word, partaking of intimacy with him. See, if Jesus isn't your true source of satisfaction, then your soul will become sick because all you will bring in is a lot of junk. And it tastes good the first bite. You know, that first bite is the bomb. Like every time I have that first bite of a piece of yum yum chicken, you feel me. <laughs> the reason why I'm down here and talking is because we're a family. It's, it's personal. When you receive the word of God, it should be personal. It's, it's like, mmm. But then each bite after gets worse and worse. And by the last bite, I hate myself. You know, you can't, it's, when Paul was speaking to them, he was talking about them going from one table to the next. And he was essentially saying to them that if you try to go and eat from the table of the world and you try to eat from the table of Jesus, you won't be satisfied. It's like trying to eat a Snickers bar and a salad at the same time. It will not taste good. The Snickers will suck and so will the salad. It won't taste good. You're wondering why your Christian life, it doesn't seem like it tastes so good anymore. It's probably because you're eating from another table and you're trying to eat from Jesus as well. And you can't do that. He has to be your lone source of satisfaction. All of a sudden you start feeling sick. See, this matters in this year of inspiration because food satisfies us. It nourishes our soul. And when your soul is satisfied, you're not worrying about yourself anymore. Then you can actually begin to attend to the needs of someone else. When Jesus is your soul sense of satisfaction, you're no longer sitting around looking at yourself in the mirror saying, woe is me and how my life is so bad and I have all these problems. But you realize that he is your portion. He will provide for all your needs according to riches. He will he will continue to provide. He will continue to satisfy. And then you can begin to nourish someone else. But that's only if he's your source of satisfaction. And the third, and this is the most important, the third thing is fellowship. Everyone say, everyone, everyone say fellowship. 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 You know, eating food is probably an intimate act that you do the most frequently in your life. You ever thought about the intimacy of eating food? You ever heard that saying, you are what you eat? 
that saying is actually true. See, what you eat, you become one with. Did you ever think about that? Like when I eat that box of fried chicken or I eat that tub of ice cream from Baskin Robbins, that's a pint where I can get three different ones for just $7.99. You know the tub I'm talking about. When I eat that tub, I become one with that tub. And I share with that tub my organs, my stomach, my liver, my mind, my heart, my body, my skin. I share it with that tub of ice cream. And then that ice cream, it shares with me its sugars, its fat, you know, its tasty goodness. It shares it with me. Me and that ice cream become one. You ever think about that? That's a oneness that you cannot separate from. It's not like, see, I used to have this thought when I was growing up that I could eat whatever I wanted and it wouldn't actually affect me. You know, I could just eat all this stuff. It's fine, you know. But no, your body still has, your body has to take responsibility for the crap you eat. For the stuff you eat. Sorry. You know, food in general points to fellowship. Entire societies were based upon food. Actually, societies today are still food centric. It doesn't matter how much money you have. If we ran out of food... The money mean nothing. If all of a sudden we ran out of food here in Korea, it doesn't matter if you've got your savings. It doesn't matter if you've got all the money in the world. You can be living in a nice house and be starving. No, the reason why money is so important is ultimately because of food. You know, that's how you tell between the richest nations and the poorest nations actually is based upon an excess and abundance of food. Not credit, not money. It's actually food. Societies today are still food-centric. We join around food. We eat around food. A lot of people, even this past weekend for Lunar New Year, right, I was talking to different people, and they're saying, I had to cook all day just, you know, for my family for this Chinese New Year because we gather around food. You know, when you go on that first date, you go eat food, right? You better not go to the arcade and then back to the subway, you know? <laughs> I remember this story my mom told me where she went on this first date with this guy and he picked her up and then he drove to the McDonald's drive through. And my mom, I remember my mom was like, she was like, son, this boy picked me up in his busted car. And then he drove me over to McDonald's and then took me to the drive through. And I was like, you know what? You know what? That's all good. Get me a fish filet and take me back home. And that's exactly what happened. I was like, okay, I, I never saw that guy again. You know, like, there's an intimacy that comes from food. That's because what you eat, as well as who you eat it with, determines who you're be- what you're becoming one with. You know, when... Jesus invited us to drink of him and eat of him. He was desiring for us not simply to remember and not only to recognize that he is our portion, but also to be one with him. That's what he was talking about. He was in who you share your life with. It becomes it matters to God and it matters into how your life is lived. Who you share your life with matters. 
the company you keep when you partake of these different things. I was talking about what nourishes you, right? Is it money? Is it relationships? What satisfies you? What do you look to for satisfaction? When you're feeling depressed, when you're feeling down, when you're feeling lost, what is it that you look to to make yourself feel better? Is it Jesus or is it something else? Well, it's not just what do you look to, but also who is around you when you're looking? Because oftentimes, whatever you're looking to to satisfy you, there's probably someone else who is there looking as well. And so there's a fellowship, there's a a bond that begins to happen with those people as you do that, as you partake of those things together. You understand what I'm saying? You know, it's because why? Why does this matter? Because the people whom you share food with, the people whom you partake of the bread and of the cup with. Over time, they become family. You know, my roommate, Pastor Joel, me and him, we've we've had the first time we got dinner together. It was awkward. And, you know, because we just didn't know each other. And but the more and more we ate. All of a sudden. He became family. That's why families gather around food. Because who you partake of food with, who you partake of the things that you're being nourished and sustained by, satisfied by, those people become family. People come into the church and they wonder, why do I not feel connected with the people around me? Why do I feel so isolated? Why do I feel so disconnected? I feel like everyone here is judging me. It's because you're probably not eating the same meal as everyone else. When you come in, are you really partaking of Christ? Are you, is that whom you're looking to? Is that your source of nourishment? Is that your source of satisfaction? Because if that's the case, then all of a sudden, when you begin to partake of him, the person next to you who's also partaking of him, you begin to experience a connection relationally. And then all of a sudden, you begin to fellowship. You begin to share in life with that person. This is a deep word. It's really simple. It's a deep word. It's, God wants you to look inwardly right now. He wants you to really ask yourself some tough questions. A lot of times we like to hear a, a good flashy word, make me feel better. But it's these questions that determine the kind of life we live. What satisfies you? What nourishes you? Who and what are you fellowshipping with? Are you more connected to the world to the world? Are you more connected to the world than you are to the people of God? When you when you leave the house of God, you're like, and then you're you're around other people and you're like, oh, I feel so connected with them. I feel like, man, I never experienced this in the church. I never experienced this around other believers. And that's probably because you two together are partaking of a different meal. And then when you go into the house of God, you're not eating the same meal. You're still over here. And there's no connection. Why does all this matter? It matters because, and this is the second question I want you to ask yourself. I want you to ask yourself, who are you sacrificing to? What does this have to do with anything? Because what you are being nourished by, what you perceive to be your, your source of nourishment and satisfaction, determines what you will worship. It determines what you will sacrifice for, what you will sacrifice, not for, 
but sacrifice too. If you perceive to be your family, to be your ultimate source of satisfaction and nourishment, you will lay down your life for your family. If you perceive money to be your ultimate source of satisfaction and nourishment, money is what keeps your life going. If money is what makes your world go round, then ultimately money will be what you lay down your life for. What are you sacrificing to? What are you worshiping? The word worship in the Greek is the, is the word proskuneu. Everyone say proskuneu. You just learned some Greek. It means to kneel down, but not just to kneel. It's like the Korean honorific bow, like, you know, the super Korean honorific bow. I had to do that once, actually. Long story, not going to get into it right now. <laughs> it's when you get on your knees and then you you put you go so low that your forehead has to touch the ground. That's actually what the word worship literally means. It means to even to try and get as low as possible. It means to lay down your life. What are you laying down your life for? What are you worshiping? Paul says it in that next the next part of scripture from 18 to 22. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar. Those who eat, those who are nourished by this, they're worshiping. Food and worship, it's very connected. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? See what Paul was saying. He said, what you perceive to be your source of nourishment, Corinth, is what you're worshiping to. And if it's not Jesus then whatever you're worshiping is demonic at its root. Whatever you are worshiping, if it's not Jesus, if he's not your portion, if he's not your satisfaction, then whatever it is that you are looking to is inspired by demons. It's demonic inspiration. And you're giving worship to those very things. You know, sin... When Paul says this, he gets to the very root of our appetite. He gets to the very root of what's really going on in our hearts, and it's sin. Sin is inspired by Satan. When you look in Genesis chapter, chapter 3, you look at where Satan comes in, and he deceives, and he does that, you know, he does that inception on Adam and Eve, Right? God has spoken to them. He said, I've provided for you all the trees in the garden that you can partake from and be satisfied from and be nourished from, except for this one tree. Do not eat of it, because if you eat of it, you will surely die. And then Satan comes in, and the first thing he wants to challenge is, wait, did God say that you'll die? Did God say that this, this actual tree is a bad source of nourishment? No, 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 no. This can be your source of nourishment. Actually, if you eat of it, you will live. You won't die. 
then he comes to them again and he, he continues to bring deception. And he says, no, no, no. Actually, if you eat of it, you'll, you'll have wisdom. You'll know the difference between good and evil. It'll be good to taste. It says that Eve, when she saw the tree, she saw that it was good for food, that it could satisfy. And then he said, actually, if you eat of it, you'll be like God. Really, what that was, that was a demonic kind of fellowship. That you would be one with God. They were already in his image and likeness. Satan still comes to us in that same way. It's funny that in Genesis, it all started with food. Because it cuts to the heart of what we're really looking for. What nourishes you? What satisfies you? What are you sacrificing to? What are you sacrificing for? And it's crazy because I was thinking about this and I was I was praying into this and I felt like God wanted this word to go out to us in this year of inspiration because if you don't understand what you're being nourished by, if you don't if if it doesn't shift away from the world and towards Jesus and ultimately everything that you produce, everything that you make, everything that you step into, it won't be worship to God. It'll be worship to Satan. I always wondered, like, when I watch, you know, TV and I, I see all these different people, all these music, all these entertainment artists and all these people in the business mountain. And when they show up, the first thing they're saying is, man, I'm like, we're always like championing them, right? Because they're Christian. It's like, Bieber, <laughs> Jessica Simpson. All these different artists in the entertainment mountain, they show up and the first thing they say is they always talk about. They're Christian. They love the Lord. And, but then over time, they start to change. And we just watch it progressively. And we watch it. And then before we know it, the music they're making is demonic and it's root. And maybe you're saying, no, that song's not demonic. But if anything talks about, you know, lie, cheat, steal, kill, that's satanic. That's demonic. That's sin. And I always wondered why that happened. But really, the reason why it happened was because at its root, were they really in it for, for Christ? Those CEOs that, that take on these, these large corporations or they start these huge businesses and prosper, but then all of a sudden they're getting into the same mess as all these other corporations. And they're going out and sleeping with prostitutes and they're going out and doing all these things. And, and the question is, in the beginning... Was it really for Christ? Was Jesus really their portion? Was Jesus really what they were being satisfied for? And by? I'm asking those questions because you should ask yourself. You know, I want to close by talking about. Well, the title of this message is a clean diet. And I want to I want to talk about this aspect of a clean diet. I want to talk about the cleanest diet. There's some brothers and sisters in the house that they've been doing this clean eating. I know I kind of made fun of them earlier about eating a bag of nuts and nuts are good for you. You should eat them. But what they at the beginning of this year, they were inspired or not the beginning of this year, but even towards the end of last year, they were inspired to start eating 
better, taking care of their bodies, not eating so much junk, and really being intentional about what they eat. And uh, I didn't do it, but um, I was inspired by them to just be more intentional about what I eat. And, uh, but when I watched it, and I'm watching them go through it, I was realizing, and God was speaking to me, that for as great as that clean diet is, and as for as great as that clean eating is, ultimately, that's not, that's not it either. Ultimately, Jesus is the one who gives us the cleanest diet. Jesus is the one who gives us that diet that is devoid of any impurity. It's the diet that is completely good for your soul. It's the diet that's completely good for your relationships, for your body, for your, the, your life. When you drink of his blood, it's a blood that washes us completely clean. Completely clean from sin. Completely clean from shame. Completely clean from all the condemnation and all the fear and all, all the things that get heaped upon us. But when his blood comes, it speaks a better word about us. Completely clean. It's, it's his bread. It's his, it's his flesh. It means him and his word. It's the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. And it's his word, the very words that he's spoken to us, the words that are spirit and life. When you partake of those things, it's, it's the best diet for you. It's the cleanest. I want to challenge you to make Jesus your ultimate source of nourishment. And not in word only, but in deed. That everything you do, you do with him in mind. Everything you do and everything you partake in, you do with Christ in mind. Let's pray.